We want to get going here directly into God's Word. So now that you have your Bible, let's take them and turn in them to the third chapter of the book of James. Uh, We're going to look at the first 12 verses today in a message that I've entitled, Taming the Tongue. I I almost called it, Your Tongue Will Tell on You, uh, because it's just equally as true, but I thought, you know, probably taming the tongue is more apropos to what's needed in our lives, amen? So let's take our hearts to the Lord. Father, once again, we just say thank you for... uh, meeting with us, and Lord, it's our prayer that you continue to minister to us. And so to that end, we open our hearts, we open our minds, Lord, to you, the leading of your spirit, and the instruction of your word. Change us, God. Make us more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Everybody say, amen. Amen. Responsibility and accountability. That's what God places upon the words that we use. Way too often we underestimate the power of a spoken word. You know, that is the way that our words impact and influence others. They can be directive, they can be destructive, encouraging, edifying, discouraging, or disheartening. A well-timed word can set someone on the pathway to greatness or completely derail their otherwise fruitful trajectory in life. The capacity of speech, the ability to translate and communicate thought is one of the greatest gifts that God gave to mankind. By our tongue, we can worship and praise our creator. We can pray. We can proclaim the word of God. We can lead the lost to Jesus Christ. And we can also fill a heart with perversion and pollution. We can poison people's minds, gossip, slander, embark upon smear campaigns, and uh, commit character assassination. The Proverbs put it like this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And God holds us responsible and accountable for the way that we use our tongue. Too often we speak before we think, and, and that's the wrong order. Uh, Someone said, you are the master of the unspoken word, but the spoken word is the master of you. And what that means is that it's under your control before it comes out of your mouth. But once it leaves your mouth, it's out of your control. There's nothing you can do about it. And James has up to this point been speaking to us of our works as believers. But listen, never is that to be at the expense uh, or in a way that would somehow diminish our words as believers. And so with that, let's turn our attention to the very first verse of the third chapter here. In the book of James, where he writes, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. And if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. 
Well, back in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1, if you remember when we were there, uh, we spoke of the open format of the synagogues of the ancient world. Now, today we anticipate and we appreciate uh, a basic monologue for our time of teaching. But in the ancient world, they would be much more open to allowing anyone to say something, anyone to kind of share uh, what was on their heart or on their mind, and they would often open it up. Does anyone have any word to say? say or to share. And you find as you read through the the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul would commonly take advantage of this opportunity where he would stand up and he would begin to say men and brethren and he would share his testimony, share his story, uh, declare and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some would accept it, most would reject it, and then they would kind of kick him out of the synagogue and off he would go to the Gentiles. And that was kind of the pattern that he had. But James, uh, in speaking to those who were a little newer to the faith back in chapter one was saying, look, don't be so quick. Don't be so anxious to offer your own opinion or enter into a debate with the one who's leading the service. You're there to receive God's word, not show everyone how smart that you are. Well, here he kind of picks up on that same vibe, that same mentality. Evidently, they were having lots of problems there with men wanting to be seen in what they saw as the spotlight of the teacher or spiritual leader of the local assembly. And so James seeks to put those who would otherwise jockey for that position in check with this incredibly sobering, at least to me, and I trust to you as well, kind of admonition here where he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. You know, it's easy for people to be drawn toward or attracted to what they would look at as the authority or the prestige of the platform, but forget about the tremendous accountability and responsibility before God that comes along with it. Jesus said it like this. He said, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Now pertaining to our present passage, the more knowledge that a person has, or the more access to knowledge that a person has, the greater the responsibility and accountability that person has before God. And when you're given the platform to instruct or direct or correct uh, people concerning the heart and mind of God as it relates to the word of God, I'm just going to tell you that you're entering into an arena whereby the margin for error reduces radically. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, of course, that's not to say that those who uh, teach God's word will lead lives of Sinless perfection, James readily confesses that we all, did you see that there where he said we all, that's all of us, we all stumble in many things. But simultaneously, we certainly have a right to expect an additional element of character from those who teach or preach the word of God. You know, we're to practice what we preach, yes? And so, you know, our character should coincide with the principles that we're putting out there. Now, again, not sinless perfection, but we should certainly be growing in that direction of godliness. 
Now, I want to be very clear that there's nothing wrong with having it in your heart to want to teach the Word of God. You know, if God has placed an unction in your heart, that's a wonderful thing. But often people have some other motive, some other incentive for seeking the platform. And they've not stopped to count the cost in teaching the word of God. They've not been gifted nor called of God to the office. And it's the people who suffer for it, you see. And so, uh, therefore, James is saying they are the ones, those who assume the platform, assume the position, being neither gifted nor called of God, they're the ones who will be accountable before God for what's going on there, you see. Guys, think of the damage that can be done by a teacher who stands before you unprepared, unstudied, ill-equipped for the task. I mean, they're seeking to represent God, but have never been called by God. People put their trust in pastors to help them establish their course of life. You know, meaning they trust you to teach them and to guide them in the truth of the ways in the word of God. Now, if you, you being me, or whoever the pastor, the preacher, the teacher might be, point them in the wrong direction, do you see what's happening here? God will hold you accountable for that. Guys, think of all the cults, all the isms of the world, even Christians, who are brought under the sway of an eloquent or articulate, perhaps entertaining individual. You know, people can be captivated by a charismatic personality and led to believe the most bizarre, outlandish kind of things by men who misrepresent and or distort the truth of the word of God. The teacher of God's word isn't there so as to stroke his own ego, but to equip and edify those before whom they stand to their eternal benefit and to glorify God. Listen, and I want to say this too, though we're speaking here with an emphasis upon the ministry of the pulpit, Let's not limit the admonition to the position of a lead pastor or a senior pastor, however you want to say that. What about those folks who teach home Bible studies? You know, what about those who teach men's studies or women's studies, youth groups or children's ministries? I mean, how many people will slough off a responsibility if they're teaching kids because, well, they're kids, Right? And I can kind of mail it in. I can kind of make it up if I'm not sure. You know, listen, be careful. If God will hold us accountable who teach people with critical thinking skills, who can uh, exercise discernment and check and uh, kind of make sure what's being said lines up with the word of God, how much more those who teach, those who are prone to simply trust you because, well, you're the grown-up. Just something to think about. 
I guess it seems like an appropriate time to remind ourselves of the exhortation that Paul sent Timothy when he said, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How important this is. He says, for we all stumble in many things. Now that's not to excuse it. It's not to justify it. But James does acknowledge the truth of it. Uh, We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. John tells us, you know, that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And he says, if you don't stumble in word, you're a perfect man. uh, Completely, spiritually mature What does it mean then to stumble in word? Well, you know, it could mean a number of things, couldn't it? It could be reflected in what we say of ourselves through boasting or exaggerating or, you know, being very kind of selectively reporting certain things. Um, We stumble in word through criticism, through gossip, uh, through slander or anger. We stumble in word through flattery or cruelty or insincerity as we're trying to gain favor, whatever the case may be. Your tongue will tell on you. You see, it will expose the inner character of who you really are. Uh, Jesus said that like this. He said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth will make known what's happening in our heart. Words so often serve as the revelation of our inner character. Guys, can I just say here in a, in, a, in a quick little time of transparency that if we were to all stand uh, up here honestly, I don't think any of us would like an MP3 file uh, to replay for everyone who's here everything that we've said over the last month or so. Our tongue will tell on us. You see what I'm saying? There's only one man who has ever walk the top side of this earth who never stumbled in word and was able completely to bridle his whole body. And that was the perfect man, amen? Jesus Christ. But he says in verse three, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body Look also at ships, although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, underline it, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. He says, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Wow. Come on, James, don't hold back. (laughs) I trust you're picking up on the pattern here that James 
uh, offers us over and over, and that is an exhortation followed by a practical illustration. And he's emphasizing the weight of responsibility regarding the words that we employ. You know, how that the tongue is so much smaller than, I mean, how many different members of your body, maybe your, you know, the muscle of your tongue versus the muscle in your biceps, or your legs, or your calves, or maybe your hands, or your feet, or whatever the member, you know, may be. But the tongue, though may be small, is much more powerful than them all. It is, has, contains much more power than the others. It is powerfully influential. And he points to three examples here of otherwise small things that wield tremendous power. Power to direct and power to destroy. Okay, he says, consider the bit in the horse's mouth. You know, we put this little piece of material, this little piece of metal or whatever uh, in a horse's mouth and can direct, we can turn this massive beast in any direction we choose. You know, he says this little rudder, comparatively speaking, on the back of a great ship can direct the entire ship even in the most adverse conditions against winds and waves. And this little component setting the course and the direction that affects and influences the lives of others. Guys, think about the influence that the tongue has over the lives of others. A judge says guilty or not guilty and impacts the destiny, the entire trajectory of a person's life standing before them, their family, many of their friends in a single moment of time. The president speaks a few words. Of course, now he would sign a few papers as well, but he initially speaks a few words and we're a nation at war. You know, his words will set the direction of millions of lives. A single yes or no from the lips of a parent can alter the course of their child's life. You know, we tend to think that our words aren't that important. But never underestimate the guidance that you give, the influence that you wield with the words that you speak or choose not to speak. The wrong word can send a listener spiraling downward toward the wrong or in the wrong path. A deliberate lie can change the course of a life leading to its destruction. Something as small as the tongue has tremendous power for good or for evil. David said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. In other words, he didn't want the loose lips mentality. He didn't want to misrepresent the Lord around the unbeliever. You know, there you are at work engaging in the inappropriate stories, the dirty jokes, whatever the case may be. It can set someone in a direction. You're not guarding, you're not muzzling your mouth in the presence of the unbeliever and it can solidify them in their minds that in some way, somehow, we're no different than they are. You don't even realize what you're doing, but you're solidifying them in their position because they know who you are. But a word spoken in due season, a word of encouragement or compassion 
can direct a soul out of sin and into salvation. Jesus speaks to a single woman at a well, right? John chapter 4. And changes her life. And not only does he change her life, but the lives of many of the people of her city forever. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls come to salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The tongue has the power to direct. Now, of course, if the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship, then it, uh, it's a fair question, isn't it, to ask who then or what holds the reins? Uh, who or what steers the rudder? Guys, ladies, gentlemen, family, some people have no hand on the reins at all. And they just say whatever comes to mind. Yeah, some people just need to learn the quick little life lesson that just because it comes in here doesn't mean it has to come out here. You know? We've talked about that. You're the master of the unspoken word. Just because it comes into your mind doesn't have to come out of your mouth. Others may allow emotions or their carnal nature to dictate what they say. James is going to point us to the Spirit of God having His hands on the reins, controlling the rudder. Again, David prayed, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to do or to any evil thing. But not only can the tongue direct, be it for good or for bad, it can destroy. James likens it to a little flame that sets an entire forest on fire. How many, you know, every year we, we, we read of them, we see them on TV, don't we? These, these tens of thousands of acres out on the West Coast somewhere, someone just flicked a cigarette out and just set ablaze thousands and thousands uh, of acres. How many families or church bodies have been engulfed in the flames and the fires of gossip or hearsay or heated words? Proverbs 16 says this, an ungodly man digs up evil and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Think about that. The tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. You know, as a kid, maybe you heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me. Sounds good. It's not true. A bone will heal. You know, things can return to normal. But the bitter pain of a hateful or hurtful word spoken against us can last a lifetime. Uh, A neglectful word of sarcasm or criticism can leave lasting injury. But guys, the opposite is also true. A well-timed word of encouragement or a compliment can inspire someone for the rest of their lives. Scripture says it like this, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Think about that. 
And again, a soft answer turns away wrath. Husbands, wives, try this one out. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. The tongue is a fire. Let me give you one more. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, hey man, I was only joking. Hey, it was just a joke, bro. Right? This is the person who gives no regard to the destructive power of the tongue. Now, not only is the tongue powerful, James amplifies it. He continues to build upon it. It's perverse, he says. It's a world of iniquity. It utters profanity and blasphemy, criticism, cruelty, and lies. It's no wonder that the Bible warns us that in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is wise. Look at verse 7. He says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? And it's on display all over anymore today. I mean, man has been able to tame, take control of virtually every kind of beast, of bird, of reptile or creature. You know, they used to use pigeons to send... I've, I've always been amazed at how they could train a bird to fly from point A to point. Like, once it leaves your hands, how do you know where it's going to go? You know, but somehow they were able to, to tame and to direct and use these birds to carry messages from point A to point B. And, you know, there are lion tamers and people who train falcons to hunt and whales and dolphins and seals to do all kinds of stunts. You know, dogs and parrots and elephants, on and on. Snake charmers, on and on, right? But no one, James says, no one can tame the tongue. Think about that. Easier to control a killer whale than to tame the tongue. He says it's an unruly, refuses to be ruled. Uh, it's unable to be controlled kind of evil, full of deadly poison. It's loaded with venom. The tongue is loaded with venom and set to strike at any moment. Have you noticed that? How it can whack. Man, it can just dart out there and strike. Many times the wickedness lies in the fact that someone with malicious intent will inject just a little poison, just a little venom in an otherwise benign conversation with the hopes that it will eventually find its target or make its way, wound the person that they're wanting the news to reach or do damage to. They may not even speak to the person directly, but indirectly through a misguided conversation, misinformation injected into the situation. The poison of a tongue will murder a person's reputation. You know, we call it character assassination. 
through slander and again the spread of misinformation. No man can tame the tongue. But family, I got good news for you. I don't want you to despair because what's impossible with men is possible with God. You know, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Wait, even taming the tongue? Even taming the tongue. Think about how crazy it is that essentially what James is saying is that only God can overcome the uncontrollable tongue. God is the only power that is able to deal with the out-of-control evil nature of our tongue. For the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, peace, patience. Come on, what's the, what's the one at the end of the list? The one that sneaks up to grab us? Self-control. Self-control. Now, James carries on to point out the inconsistent character of the tongue. Look at verse 9. He says, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or likeness of God. So we bless our God and Father and we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring, so there's the exhortation, here's the illustration, send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So from the highest calling to the lowest evil, the tongue can utter them both. We can bless and praise our God, spend time in worship and prayer in one breath, and then curse the very ones who have been made in his likeness in the next breath. You know, Peter is a prime example of the inconsistency of the tongue. There he was. You know, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say maybe you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets, you know. And then Jesus asks that all-important question that has to confront each of us. He says, but who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter spoke up and he said, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus was like, well, man, you are blessed, Simon, because flesh and blood, that wasn't a revelation. You didn't just come up with that on your own. But my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. An accurate understanding of who Jesus is comes through the Spirit of God. But then, so at one point he's uttering that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then in another moment he's denying that he even knows Jesus, like three times. The same apostle, you know, the apostle of love, John, who bids us as little children to love one another, he's the same guy that wanted to call down fire on the Samaritan village, you know. Our tongues are instruments of inconsistency. And James says, my brethren, these things ought not be. It shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't be speaking one way at church and another way at home or another way at work or whatever. In the gym, you get the idea. 
He says, you don't see a spring uh, sending out fresh water and salt water or bitter water out of the same opening, do you? You don't see a, a, a fig tree bearing olives. You don't see, you know, a, a grapevine bearing apples or whatever the case may be. How is it then that our f- speech can be filled with blessing and cursing? How is it that we edify and insult with the same tongue? We send forth fresh and bitter out of the same opening. It's that battle between the flesh and the spirit, isn't it? But guys, the general exhortation is this, and we're about finished here, but James wants us to realize that we bear the fruit of the nature that we're born with. It's indigenous to us, okay? An olive tree will bear olives. You see what I'm saying? Uh, A fig tree will bear figs. If you're born of the flesh, that is a natural birth, your life will bring forth the fruit of that. If you're born again of the Spirit of God, a supernatural birth, then your life will bring forth the fruit of that. Okay, um, and uh, Abby, if where you can make your way up, we're going to close here. Uh, the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. If you're spewing raw sewage out of your mouth, it's because there's a lot of junk in your heart. You understand? Uh, our mouth makes known what's happening in our heart. We need God to do a work in our heart. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In other words, again, the mouth reveals what's happening in our heart. You know, if you know the Lord, then, I don't know, perhaps today would be a good day to ask God to wash and to cleanse your heart, uh, to renew and to re flame the fire of your first love relationship with him that he would help you to be more carefully considerate of the words that you choose to use or to not use in a given situation guys watch what happens uh, here, here's the you know the, the internet challenges are all over the place I got a challenge for you try using words like please and thank you how about this one yes sir yes ma'am no ma'am you know, no, sir. You know, try, try these words out. I'm sorry. Or how about this one? This one's even the next level. Could you forgive me? And then, and then if you want to go all in, try this one. I love you. Right? You might be surprised how, to, to witness the transformation in your situation. That soft word that turns away wrath. Hey, you know what? This is really escalating. I'm really sorry. Can you forgive me? Right? Watch what happens.